Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing and eating fish that's always entertaining, usually funny, and mostly true. My name is John Crappie Hippie King, the tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas and co-founder of Glasswater Angling Lead-Free Fishing. I will be your host this evening, and sitting in the co-host chair tonight is the Flatland Fly Fisher, the Fish Nerd Librarian, Jeff Donaldson. What's up, John? Hey, man, I'm here. I'm ready to talk about some fish fishing and eating fish. Yes, sir. We got a, a nice full show for y'all. We've got um, some fishing reports. We got a little fish in the news. And I got a very, very special guest tonight to share her approach on life with everybody. But first, Jeff, what up? What you been doing fishing wise here lately? Anything? Well, we did some gar fishing a while back, but that's all been reported. I have not got out since then i have been too busy doing household stuff but the upshot of that is is that uh, the effing librarian fly laboratory is now in the house and not out in the shed so and I'm, I'm, we're, we're i'm broadcasting to you live from this very echoey room that is now the effing fly lab awesome 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 it's not that bad at all and the skiff the skiff it looks like you're the putting the finishing touches on the boat yes. Dust boot, dust boot is is ready to go. Uh, it, it it has um, the trailer lights. I got them working. I got the boat navigation lights working. Ripped up all the old rotted floorboard out of it. Um, so it's just bare bare bottom right now. But I I fished out a boat that was nothing but aluminum bottom boat before. So we'll 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 live. I'm gonna get that bottom rebuilt. But in the interim, we'll just have bare aluminum down there. But yeah, it's ready to go. So we get that thing out. Hopefully, get that on our uh, our double secret location up there and chase some more gar. Sounds like a plan, but I don't know about this name for the boat, Das Boot. I mean, that was a yeah. submarine. It sank. Everybody yeah. got killed. Yeah, it wasn't a very uh, good. Maybe, maybe reconsider. I, I mean, I can go. Well, with okay, it. then it can be like. Well, I had I had a boat called the Orca Two, um, and then. <laughs> I got rid of that boat, so then this one could be the Orca 3, but good things didn't happen to the Orca either if you, if you watch Jaws. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll name it the Titanic or uh, the Lusitania or what was the Ocean uh, Ocean Explorer? What was the submarine that just sank? The I, I don't know, the rich guy killer. I, I, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. I did that whole thing. It's yeah. such, such a nightmare. I can't even stand it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's been a tradition of me having uh, – terrible boat names so <laughs> okay all right let's start right in with some fishing reports then we've got the friday fishing poll back on the fish nerds facebook group and the question i posed bringing it back was when did you start fishing it turns out that when people start fishing is generally when they're young most people that answer the poll started when they were nine years old or less most people started as a small child four to six years old when did you start man i couldn't tell you because i can't remember um but it was definitely before kindergarten i'm sure that the minute i could have a fishing pole in my hand i did uh given my family exactly. uh, especially like uh have having a my family having a place down like those arcs and especially back in the day you know like those arcs was a very different place back then um but i would spend large portions of the summer down there with my grandparents and uh yeah and we literally fished with a 
with literally a bamboo pole with some like who knows how heavy mono on it tied onto the end of it with the split shot and a bobber right i mean that was what we used fishing in the boat dock was those were our fishing poles and yeah that's that's how i started literally with a stick with a string on it and a bobber a hook and a sinker well that is so awesome you we, you talk a lot about it i know it was a fine time in your life i love your lake of the ozark stories from back in the day so You've been doing fishing reports. You've had the wherewithal to catch a lot of fish and have a lot of reports. And uh, all I can say about the bite around here is the August dog days uh, where you have to go early or late or at night. We did a little night fishing, you know, and we learned that species that can tolerate lower oxygen like catfish, drum, carp, and our beloved gar are a good bet when the dog days are on. But they'll even take a break in the middle of the day because of the oppressive heat. But what's going on, bro? It looks like that was our last heat day and that real September weather has arrived. I'm hoping it's true. Yeah, it's been it's definitely like the when I've gone out to go to work in the morning, it's been like noticeably cool. I'm like, hey, I could get used to this <laughs> after, <laughs> after that crushing heat. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess a, a little while back, I closer to the beginning of, of August, I actually got to go down to the Illinois River in uh, northeastern Oklahoma. Yeah, I caught some pretty nice uh, smallmouth bass down there. So, you know, they were going on pretty good there. And it was hot. Oh, my gosh, it was hot. But, you know, I think maybe a river flow and stuff like that keeps the water a little more oxygenated. Water was fairly warm. It was not a cool spring-fed river. It was it was definitely kind of bath water warm. But as long as uh, there was some flow, I think that keeps them, keeps them happy. That sounded like such a fun trip. And, folks, this the reason Jeff was down there, he's with his scout troop. Jeff is a, is a guy that volunteers his time to teach kids about the outdoors. It's pretty awesome. And this stretch of river, I guess, was a little kind of popular because you did notice that the more swimmers upstream, the better the smallies would hit downstream. Yeah, it seemed like it. That they're kicking stuff up. And it's, I don't know if it, anybody from around here knows about the Tanicomo Shuffle, which is down at Lake Tanicomo, <laughs> um, which is a tailwater uh, down by Branson, Missouri. People are really notorious for standing in the river and shuffling their feet, and that kicks up all the invertebrates, and then you get the trout biting right downstream from you. And so that's they call it the Tanicomo shuffle, where you kick your feet around, try to get the fish to come right downstream of you, and then you catch them right there, straight down about ten feet downstream from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so don't get upset. You know, you are one yeah. of the best guys for fishing in a crowd, fishing where there's other people figuring it out. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So you've been, you've managed to get some smallies. We, we've already talked about carp. Let's talk about some of our listeners. I put this up on the fish nerd Facebook group, join the group, please. Um, don't worry. We were, we're kind of, you know, you'll go to join the group and then you have to be approved, but that's only because we've gotten popular enough that we're getting some, uh, strange stuff being submitted and we kind of have to filter a little bit, but everybody is welcome to join the fish nerds Facebook group. And I put this to people, you know, give me a fishing report. Tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. I got one from Chris Snodgrass, really cool guy, lives up in Montana. He's already out hunting, but he's told me he wishes he'd uh, brought his pole with him because he found a mile stretch of river in the mountains on public land that looked like brook trout heaven. He was a little nervous because he uh, kept coming across signs of black bears that are down on the riverbank eating the choke cherries. Uh, which sounds, you know, he's a, he's a very astute outdoorsman, really loves it all the time. Every time you, you can't keep this guy in one of my favorites came in from David 
Dumitrescu. And he said, in August, I had to pull out all the stops to catch all three fish that live in Ohio during August. So <laughs> August, August, that heat wave fishing can be tough. Now, I don't know if Alan Dumitrescu is his son, his nephew, his bu- uh, brother. I, I don't know, but he counters and says, hey, man, I had good luck during August. And Alan posted several pictures of catches he's made. Luke Chalmings from South Australia. Of course, he's in the wintertime. So no fair, Luke. He's out there fishing in the 50 degree weather. Said the red fins were just going to town. Uh, John Murphy from Massachusetts, having a lot of luck on the smallmouth bass. And I asked him, uh, I'm going to get up there sometime in October. And I said, will they still be biting? He says, oh yeah, that's, that's prime. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Jim Murphy said, got me a little large mouth in Northern New Jersey on the most polluted river in America, which I don't know if that's the Passaic or the Delaware, no shortage of super polluted rivers wherever you go in this country. And it's time to get angry about it. And it's time to do something about it. But in the meantime, Jim says, deal with what you got. I'm going to go out and fish anyway. And even if all I catch is a six inch largemouth, it, it was worth the trouble and worth the trip. Uh, and finally our own clay groves, who's been busy, 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 busy with his guide business. He says the Lakers are hungry in Madison, New Hampshire, which is where I think Silver Lake is, where he does a lot of his guiding. So fish are biting. Uh, The weather is improving. Uh, The weather in the Northeast is especially conducive to catching some fish. I've got a couple of reports here, Jeff. One from Todd Correer, the fish wrap writer. And we're going to get into that report on both inshore fishing and freshwater fishing in the Rhode Island area right now all righty next on the list of fishing reports we got one from our favorite new correspondent todd correer the fish wrap writer he's going to fill us in on false albacore and stripers and oh some freshwater stuff as well what is going on in the northeast these days todd what are we fishing for where are we fishing for them and what are we using buddy Howdy, John. Nice to uh, nice to catch up with you again. I have to say, after a fairly rainy summer, wasn't the wasn't the prettiest summer here ever. The uh, waters are very very warm, and the fishing is absolutely outstanding. Um, most people right now, being the Labor Day season, this is when the false albacore come in. Um, for those of you who are not um, native to New England, we get bonita and bonito. Um, Bonita is the false albacore and they're in the mackerel family and they call them false albacore, but they're not actually a tuna, but, um, nonetheless, they are these beautiful, beautiful iridescent striped fish, little footballs. They travel up to 40 miles an hour and they come in from offshore and they kind of spread their way across from, oh, I don't know, like the Cape out there, um, in towards Boston, all along the South shore we are into Long Island and they are voracious feeders and man, they are. They are just a bomb to catch. Most people go after them with fly rods because that's that you know that's high excitement there with the you know clouds or minnows or or um, little epoxy jigs. Anything that's kind of shimmery, anything with chartreuse is real big. Um, they're very very fast fish, so the fly guys will fish them on a slow retrieve, like because the bait is slow. The you know the albies are fast, but the bait is slow. And, uh, spin guys, they are using shiny. Like um, like an owl's goldfish or an albie snack or a deadly dick, anything shiny, a lot of wobble, a lot of shimmer that looks like a sand deal or a, a silver side or maybe a bay anchovy. You know, the big struggle with them, the beautiful part is when you catch one, it's like the fight of a lifetime. But 
where they were today, they are not necessarily there tomorrow. So you oh. can spend an awful lot of fuel chasing fish that were never there. I tell you, I, you've referred to them a time or two, and you had the one story you told about when we were talking about kayak safety, how the got the false albie and it spun you around, and the next thing you know, <laughs> you're being towed out to sea or whatever. I, I'm always fascinated. Uh, the tuna family, the strength and the the speed, and and uh, they just sound like an absolute blast. They are. They're a blast. I mean, that fish spun me around backwards. My arm was wrapped. It looked like Fred Flintstone. My arm was wrapped around my neck about three times. That's, I mean, they're pure muscle. And when they feel that hook, they are not impressed. We'll see the Benito soon. That's the, the they're in the tuna family. And the, the only downside is, I mean, the weather's real fair right now. So that's good. But it is hurricane season here. And as soon as the water gets, as soon as we get a storm and the water gets a little cloudy, gets a little murky, it gets upset, they're gone because they are vision hunters. So they're using their eyes to see their prey. And once that water gets mixed up by a hurricane or an offshore storm, they sometimes, you know, they'll leave, then they'll come back in a couple of weeks when it clears up. And then sometimes they don't. I just, it just sounds an awful lot of fun. I'll see them on Instagram. I'll see them on social media and I'll see the fly guys going after them. So good deal. So everybody it's Albie time. Get, get on down there, get your uh, clouds minnow and get your 10 weight and 11 weight, something like that, I guess, and uh, go after yes, them. Sir. Right? Yep, the Albies are in now, and with the water being so warm, still in the high 60s, low 70s, depending on where you are, the striped bass fishing has been phenomenal. We had a change in the regulations this year. The slot limit now to keep a striper is only 28 to 31 inches, which is a very small slot. But what it has done, in my personal opinion, it has done a beautiful job of protecting those bigger fish, which are predominantly females. You know, they're the breeders, they're the egg layers. So um, I think that new regulation, it was a, a, a brilliant choice. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people catching a lot of big fish. And, you know, most of my fishing these this time of year is done in the salt ponds and pretty shallow water, three, four, five, you know, maybe up to like 15 feet of water in the channels. And I'm catching 10, 15, 18 pound bass. They are just all over all this bait. They're all over the ponds or all over the inshore waters. So far, this has been a, a very strong striped bass year. Well, between you and, and Rosie, uh, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of nice fish and people having a lot of fun. So it's good to hear about the stripers. What else going on, man? Well, it's, of course, it's bluefish season here in the East. Bluefish have been, when we were kids, they were, they were gazillions of them. And we kind of took advantage of them and took them for granted. And then their populations kind of crashed and they are protected now. But we are seeing last year was all right. But this year, I think there's been more bluefish around and they have a limit, which they never did when I was a kid. So I think it's five and, you know, properly bled, properly iced bluefish are phenomenal eating fish. I think um, superior to striper or most other fish, but um, they are they bluefish can't stop moving their tails. Their tails go 24 hours a day. So their, their back part of their body is full of capillaries to feed blood, to keep that tail moving. And that's why the, the meat is real dark because that's part of their survival mechanism. But if you do keep them, you got to bleed them quickly and ice them quickly. And then you got about three days because as they say, fish and family both get old after three days. So, <laughs> that you know. that is, is correct. Okay. So anything else in the salt, anything else along the jetties, along the beaches uh, where we can get out with a kayak or on foot without going out, out to sea? Well, that's one of the beauties of all this warm water, which I may regret if a hurricane makes it up here, but 
There are a lot of fish are in really close. Your friend Rosie, as you mentioned, she has been slaying the fish. She's onto the tatog now, also called blackfish. They are very toothy critters. They eat crabs and shrimp and squid and clams and whatnot. They're back in. The season's back open, and they are right along shore. You can catch them right off the rocks. That's a great eating fish. It's a well-managed fishery, and I give great accolades to people like Greg Vespi, um, who used to run the Rhode Island Saltwater Anglers Association, phenomenal fisherman. A lot of fishermen, recreational and commercial, push very hard to keep regulations tight on them to keep that population strong. And, you know, usually people want to catch, 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 but I'll give great props to Rhode Island fishermen for keeping those laws tight to protect that species. And, you know, the other big thing we have now, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, I wrote a story about a kid out in Fall River who caught a cobia. Which is a Florida, it's a Florida fish, you know, it's a southern fish, and I, I don't, I don't really remember exactly, but all his life he wanted to catch a cobia, which is weird because we don't, we don't get him here, but he caught one, and it was a story, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a thing, and now people are catching cobia all the time off of our coast, so you can have your conversation about climate change or global warming or which side of that table you're on, but the waters are warmer, and there's definitely some species of fish moving north, like cobia. But getting back to the tatog. What I've read is, yeah, they're kind of a slow-growing fish. They really need to be managed carefully. You can overfish them relatively easily, but they're highly desirable, good fighters. They remind me kind of a drum. I mean, they got almost like human-looking teeth for crushing their their stuff up. Well, they've got, you know, we like to call them meth teeth. You know, they they're not the they're not the finest-looking teeth you've ever seen. But, you know, they're uh, I'll probably get in trouble for that. But you know, they're they're like purpose-driven teeth. They're they're kind of buck out and they're made for digging in the rocks, pulling out green crabs, pulling out oysters, pulling out crabs, clams. And given their diet of clams and squid and crabs, they are very good fish to eat. They're great in chowders. The, you know, you can stake the meat out into chunks and make a fish chowder or something. They're, it's an exceptional fish. Ooh-wee. Boy, that sounds good. It sounds real good. Okay, what else? What's going on in the freshwater these days? Freshwater, well, we had a very rainy summer. So I was with some guys from Trout Unlimited last weekend. We did a highway cleanup over by Arcadia Park here in Rhode Island. And the flows are actually pretty good. Usually this time of year, the flows are down to almost nothing. But um, like the Wood River and the Pocketuck, the flows are actually pretty strong. Guys are still catching. A lot of people will be advising people to now start looking for reds from the trout that start to spawn, you know, to stay off the bank, stay away from the reds. If you see females on their reds, just kind of give them some space and not, you know, not try to jerk them off the, off their reds, but it's been very good. And I, you know, I don't spend a, a whole lot of time trout fishing. I don't fish trout as much as I wish I could, but um, it has been a pretty solid summer for a change. Well, that's great to hear. And speaking of trout coming up next, I have Steve Nick Angler with a report on the trout fishing in the Washington Valley of New Hampshire. So Thank you, Todd Correa, for coming in and giving us a fishing report. Glad to hear it. Uh, you get me more and more excited about <laughs> inshore fishing from that salt water all the time. I'm going to have to just make a date and do it one of these days. So you take Thanks. care out there, my friend. Keep posting those pictures. We love seeing them. You're 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 catching a few stripers as long as your leg. It's pretty darn fun <laughs> to see. I'll bet it's even more fun to be on the fighting end of one. So you take care out there, buddy. Thank you so much for the report, and we will get back with you soon. Thank you, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, we're back. Well, what'd you think of that one, Jeff? Well, I want to catch some albies. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I know it. And I want to get out there, fly rod, and catch one of them albies. I've heard about them. Uh, you know, it's a it's a well known thing that that you want to catch those false albacore on a fly rod. It's like hooking onto a freight train. So. 
I'm all about that. Got to get out there sometime and do it. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here, I've, I've got, you know, I've got the willies. I'm kind of shaking. I mean, it, it really is cool. I, I would love to get into the stuff because of course me being in just cans and all my life, you know, I hardly ever get to fish that salt water and Todd can just make it sound so good. You just basically want to run out, get in the car and get going, you know, heading east. Yeah. The Albies, the, and Rosie and him catching all these beautiful stripers and, and even Rosie's little brother, Rex's been doing some damage out there. And, uh, Oh man. And then, you know, the Tatog, I I'm very, very interested in that, that fish, but Todd finished us up with a nice report on trout. And I would like to finish up this fishing report segment with, with a report from Steve Nick angler, who is a really cool guy, friend of the pod, dedicated poster on the fish nerds, Facebook group, a dedicated listener. He's actually been on the show. He owns one of the last fly shops in New Hampshire. And he puts out a fishing report pretty much every week. And although this one was put out on Labor Day, it still applies. I've been looking at the weather, pretty much still warm, but getting ready to cool off, have some rain. I think the bite is just going to continue in the Mount Washington Valley area all the way, like he says, all the way through October. Have you ever looked at North Country Angler website, dude? I have not been on there. I'm going to have to check it out. You need to check it out because it is a really old-timey type fly shop. He runs some guides out of there. Got the info. 700 fly patterns. They offer 700 fly patterns. <laughs> 700 fly patterns. I might have. I don't know if I have 700. I have a lot. I have a lot of, I have a lot of one-offs that are like, I'm going to try something here. I'm going to make this and then end up with one of the one, I end up with one fly. And then if I ever catch something with it, I hope I don't lose it because then I need to be able to remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You always got to take a picture. That's what I do with yeah. my prototypes because every now and then I'll, Lose one before I can make a second one, and thank goodness I take a picture. But anyway, Steve McAngler, North Country Angling, just just a great guy, totally dedicated to his scene in the Mount Washington Valley. Give it a listen. Good morning, everyone. Steve from the North Country Angler with your Mount Washington Valley fishing outlook. So, folks, despite the fact that it's 47 degrees right now, uh, we're looking at daytime temps in the mid 80s. We're looking at humidity. And uh, that just means that the terrestrials are going to go berserk. If you're coming up, make sure you've got your hoppers, your crickets, your beetles, and your ants. Because the trout are going to be all over those bugs. And uh, as you can see here, I'm up on the section of the proposed... Uh, fly fishing only and uh, the water is excellent it's excellent and um, even though we had some warmer temps this week the highest the river got to this week was 62 degrees so everything is perfect right now perfect the uh, the wild brookie fishing in the headwater streams is still off the chart I mean by now it's starting to usually starting to peter out and those fish are thinking about spawning well, those wild brookies, they're all coloring up for the spawn, but they are still ravenous. They're chowing down, getting ready for that spawn. And so um, the headwater fishing, awesome for this time of year. Awesome because there's plenty of water. Ponds. Uh, ponds will get wonky now. You know, when we get three or four days of 85, the surface temps are going to get warm. So if you do want to fish ponds, you want to hit them early 
because it is still going to get down into the high 50s at night, which will cool that surface temperatures off. But until we get a break in this heat wave, I'd stay off the ponds at night. The Andro, I have no clue. I give up. I give up. Last week, the flows went down. I told you guys the flows went down. And then Friday afternoon, they just cranked everything back up on the Androscoggin. So if you're going to fish the Andro, full sink lines, streamers, guys that are doing that, plenty of fish. But you got to be careful. It's not super safe to wade. You got to be on top of your game. You got to know what you're doing. But uh, just in general, the fish have not been pressured this year. So it's awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. And if by chance Brookfield knocks the flows down, then um, your terrestrials are going to be awesome on the Androscoggin too. The Amanusik. We're getting reports of all kinds of catches of rainbow trout on the Amanusik. So if you want to go over on the other side of Crawford Notch, the Amanusik's good too. I just, I don't know. You can pick your poison. It's great. This is the kind of summer that we love, and it's going to be, uh, you know, the kind of fall that we love too. So, um, guides, guides are booking. I mean, uh, I saw that uh, Tom at Top Notch, he says he's uh, filled for September. If you want a September trip with Tom, uh, you get on his wait list. Uh, or book him for October. I mean, get him for October. The fishing's going to be good right until the 15th. Uh, Randy Swift River Gilly, uh, he'll accommodate you as best he can. You know, he does that two-hour twilight thing. So if you just want a quick hitter, uh, you know, give Randy a call. And then, of course, Chuck, uh, Chuck at North Country. He'll float the Andro as long as the flows are good. So, you know, book a tri trip with Chuck. But uh, if the flows aren't good, you know, Chuck's going to be straight up with you. So if you can't get a guide, you can always stop by the shop, pick up your map, check out the clothespins, grab a handful of flies, and go out and trust those flies. All right. Sorry about that, Steve. It kind of just cut off there at the end because I kind of, I took, when I edited it down, I, I took out the references to Labor Day because I don't want people getting hung up on that, feeling like they missed the boat. Because from what I can see on on my uh, weather app, the uh, terrestrials are going to still be doing their thing. And then they're going to get a little bit of a cool down, going to get a little bit of rain. And I think you're going to find that Steve can set you up with some nice fly fishing all the way until the end of the season. Yeah. And uh, right about now, the brook trout are getting in their spawning colors. And there's just, I ask anyone can you find a prettier fish than that because a, a spawning color brook trout is just one of nature's most beautiful things without a doubt i mean it literally takes your breath away i caught my first colored up brookie well actually my first one was in canada but the one that meant the most to me probably was the one i caught in wyoming where brookies are basically like bluegill get into these beaver ponds you're allowed to keep 16 uh, only four can be over 12 inches. Otherwise, they're easy to catch. They're gorgeous to look at. And unfortunately, the guy I was with was not into eating fish. So uh, I have eaten them. I ate some up in Canada. I think they're delicious. But I don't know if I could even clean one now. They are just too darn gorgeous. Yeah, well, outside their native range, uh, I don't have a problem keeping them um, where they're have problems with being invasive. But That's inside, true. Their inside the native range, I'm always going to turn a break, brook trout loose. Well, that's true. You are doing that. It looks like in Wyoming, you're kind of doing them a favor by thinning them down because they're where they're at. There's a lot of them. 
All right, my brother, what do you say we do some news? I love fish in the news. All right. All right. Here that was Clay. Go. I always used to say that. I had to bring that back. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's have some fish in the news. All right, the first piece we're going to do was sent in by you, Jeff. It's yep. about some uh, thing called a saddled sea bream or sea brim biting on people, attacking people. Killer yes. sea brim. What? What? What's Kill, the killer story? Killer sea brim. Yeah. <laughs> so from the independent uh, website, uh, this is in Spain. The very alarmist headline: Fifteen people a day attacked by fish in Benidorm as people with moles warned. <laughs> and then oblatus fish are reportedly attacking holidaymakers. Now I had to look up what an oblatus is. Uh, it's O B L A D A S. And to me, obladi oblada. That's where I get from that is the Beatles song. But evidently, it's a fish called a spot. Uh, what saddled sea bream, and they have been attracted to moles and warts and things like that. And anyone who's ever had swum with bluegills will know exactly what's happening here. Yes. Um, if you have moles and you're swimming in the water, like our boat docked down like the Ozarks, it's, it's a huge magnet for bluegills getting up underneath there and you get in the water. And if they see any little spot or anything on you, they're going to come up and take a nip. You know, now they're not going to leave any bites. Um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that this is a little bit, um, Oh, exaggerated because it's saying that like there have been like blood and teeth wounds and i looked at this fish it doesn't have <laughs> very impressive teeth uh, um, <laughs> i i gotta imagine it's somewhat concerning to be bitten by a fish in the ocean where you don't know what's happening um but yeah i this is this is exactly the bluegill phenomenon of the bluegill sea uh, you know i've got some little warts and uh, i've got some molds on me especially on my legs that they're attracted to, um, and they will they will peck at the peck at the moles on my legs when I'm swimming down there by the boat dock. Especially if I'm just hanging there on like a like a like a floaty or something, I'm just kind of dangling in the water. They'll swim right up and take a peck at you. It it um, is it is a crack up. I have had that phenomenon too. In fact, I can't. I one time I was fishing in a creek where the had a couple scabs on my leg, and I mean the minnows just got to where they were basically driving me nuts. Just could not leave me alone and kept having to peck at that poor little hungry things. They thought they'd get that off there for me, but you know, these folks here, you know, this, this Benidorm place is on the Mediterranean sea. It looks really luxe. looks like a yeah. place for the pampered. One of those places where they've taken a beautiful beach and improved it by building lots of hotels, hotels. right down by the water's edge. Hooray. So yeah, they've also, they I don't think these that, people uh, are too used to being, this is this isn't fish. even nature light. This is not nature light. This is just like they want the nature. They'd be out there like, why can't they just poison all these fish out of here so we can wait around and look at each other's butts and uh, but, not be hassled by these fish? Well, you know, over there in Europe too, they think they'll swim without the clothes on. But I, I don't know what, <laughs> what kind of beach this is or not. But uh, one thing they mentioned in the article is that the uh, warm water, uh, warm weathers raise the temperature and increase the metabolism of the fish. And maybe that's like maybe increase their appetite, although that's a stretch. Um, but it also says they're uh, used to being fed. So I think people are probably feeding these fish, you know, throwing them some bed breadcrumbs or whatever. And they're absolutely not afraid of people at all. And so 
they're just pecking at people when they see something that looks different. That's just a, they see yeah. something and they go, huh. Now, my solution to this is that we should bite them back because <laughs> it tastes quite good. And so, uh, you know, if they bite you, bite back. Just reach down, grab that sucker. And uh sounds like just uh, saute it up with some olive oil, garlic, parsley, and some lemon juice is recommended. And yeah, uh, That's Mediterranean cooking for you because they have some of the best seafood recipes. They will cook a fish of any size in all different kinds of ways. I mean, they even have a recipe called white bait where if you didn't get any fish, you just take the little fish that you were using, them bait, toss them in some cornstarch and flour and just fry them up whole. Yeah, I uh, also think maybe you could take a pocket full of breadcrumbs with you and maybe try to buy them off, you know, yeah. so throw the breadcrumbs over there and do your swimming over here. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, typically uh, we've had many, many in the fish in the news, many, many alarmist stories about fish biting people um, going all the way back to the, oh gosh, the, because uh, oh, I had one of these at one time as a pet, a Paku. If you remember the Paku oh, yeah. and what they were <laughs> Supposedly biting, right? If we did the fish nerds deep cut, but go back through our <laughs> archives and find about find out about the Paku fish and what they were reportedly supposed to eat, and uh, you'll you'll get a good chuckle out of it. Um, turns out to be absolutely false, but it's it's uh, it'll get you good. It's long history of these uh, weird fish attack people stories, you know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The the Paku is play uh, with his Paku of lies, and yes. Uh, uh, yes. Sh- Shinesty underwear wasn't around then, but where they were supposedly uh, giving people the bite, a pair of Shinesties would have would have helped you out because uh, yeah, you need a little little support, a little protection there. Uh, yeah, I remember the Paku. And, I will and- I will tell you, it's a it's a it's a very impressive fish. We uh, my friend and I had had a very large one at one time when we were in uh, graduate school. We had a huge three hundred gallon aquarium. We had a very large Paku and. It uh, it really enjoyed uh, baby carrots. That was uh, that was his favorite thing to eat, and <laughs> enjoyed being hand fed. So they make they make wonderful pets, um, and well, they're they're, they're quite they the, really are they're cute, cute they're... and they actually are like pretty smart and and uh, yeah uh, are fun fish to own. Um, they get big though; you need a big tank. So well, my story is a mini documentary. Uh, I'm sure the kids have a name for this, but you segued beautifully right into our. Next story that I came up with, which is the devilfish is invading North America. Could pet treats be the answer? And I really wanted to do this one because I know you are a former aquarist and this fish is getting out of control because it's okay to be merciful. But if you don't want your aquarium fish, look, I hate to advocate flushing them down the toilet. That's not what I'm saying, but just get yourself a two liter bottle of seven up, dump them in there. They'll, they'll belly up in about 30 seconds, then go bury them in the garden. Do not well, dump your fish in the ponds. Do not dump right. in the rivers. Do not do this because this is fish. Is that one of them catfish that you use to keep the green gunk off the side of your aquarium? And it's gotten out of control. And it, and it, you talk about a fish. If I was a, a a bad guy in a movie like James Bond or something like that, this catfish would be what my submarine would look like <laughs> because it is crazy. Uh, it's kind of a face only a mother could love. I don't I don't have the notes right here in front of me, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's that fish with the big old lips on the bottom of its j- face. And uh, boy, it's sad because this thing is it's ruining its fishing in Tijuana in, nor- in North uh, Mexico. And it's also getting into Florida, of course. Yeah. And I saw a picture of poor manatee 
with about 20 of these things stuck on it, trying to suck the algae off this poor manatee, just driving it completely nuts. Anyway, they're fighting back. Uh, an entrepreneur is gone and come up with a way to turn them into jerky for doggies. You, yeah. would, you, would you try that for your doggy? Um, well, my dogs, despite their small stature, can destroy just about any chew thing you give them in about two seconds. So if one of these armored catfish things gave them a little bit more um, resistance than the typical chew treat, then I'm all for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those fish, um, yeah, they're they're a problem all over the place. When I was in, gosh, this has been probably 10, 12 years ago when I was in Florida and I was in one of the springs where you could swim in, they were all over the place in there. Um, and yeah, this is just their cast offs from the aquarium trade. Don't do that. If you want to get rid of a fish, this is what all Aquarius will tell you. If you want to ethically put down a fish, uh, especially a tropical fish, you put it in the container of water and you put it in the freezer and they will very gently, slowly be Put to sleep to death, basically. <laughs> but it's gonna it's gonna drop their metabolism, and they're gonna they're gonna go pretty painlessly. Um, and so, if you want to get rid of a fish, the tropical fish, put it in a container of water, put it in the freezer. That'll take care of it. Don't flush it down the toilet. Don't take it to the pond. Don't take it to the creek. Whatever you do, I mean, um, <clears throat> there's a pond not far from here, or uh, from our my super secret fly bunker here. That's a couple blocks away. That is chock full of koi and goldfish that people have dumped in there, you know? So um, while they're certainly kind of interesting to, to pursue, they're going to get out of there and they're going to end up in all the other waters around here. Like I've seen the koi now in Indian Creek. I've seen some big, clearly ornamental koi swimming around in Indian Creek. And as things get warmer, as the world gets warmer, this problem of tropical fish being all over the place where they're not supposed to be is just going to get worse. Right. Be responsible. And, and you're making me sound like a monster. You know, I got the I got the seven up thing from uh, a blog on fisheries where you're not allowed to use live minnows. Where oh, they're okay. still trying to keep invasion from happening. And people were asking what's the best way to, to do them in. And the guys were all like, oh, yeah, put them in pop because it doesn't mean quick obviously and yeah then, well there's the carbon dioxide that's in it it's probably is probably what's getting them there yeah well and probably just sugar coating their gills and whatever sugar but, and acid and yeah yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably not humane at all i like your method better but it's hard to put five dozen minnows in the freezer yeah. if you got a chest freezer plus they say the sugar and the and the acid preserves the color keeps them really fresh and really firm and that's why they're doing it it's more it's not just uh getting your jollies out it, it it really does have a function as far as fishing too yeah yeah and you know maybe the fish like that uh, uh mountain dew flavored shiners so <laughs> you know then bubba then bubba bass want them some mountain dew flavored shiners right and then you go know, mountain dew extreme now flavored with crawdad juice all righty i think we've had enough news for one night let's move on All right, Jeff, I am super, 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 super excited about the guest we got for this show. Uh, she's a wonderful person, and she is into what's called outdoor minimalism, where you try to uh, waste less hiking, backpacking, camping, and fishing. And we're going to talk to her about that right now. 
Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to have with me in Glasswater Studios this morning a young lady that is out to make a difference in the way we approach the outdoors. She is an outdoor writer who has published her first book entitled Outdoor Minimalist, Waste Less Hiking, Backpacking, and Camping. She's a vlogger on YouTube, creator and host of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast. She's an educator and investigator and influencer who is very, very passionate about proper stewardship of the wild spaces we use for recreation. Ladies and gentlemen, and all friends of our natural world, please welcome Meg Carney to the show. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm excited to be here today and to flip the script because you were on my podcast previously. That is true. And it was episode 25 on lead free fishing. We had a ball doing it. Now you're a big time fisher, right? <laughs> I went fishing once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really like about you is that you are very supportive of fishing. You know that we we foot a lot of the bills for keeping this uh, a lot of the rivers and lakes clean. And uh, we put in a lot of money of our own uh, accord to do so. So having your support means an awful lot. Well, listen, Meg, I want to just dive right into this. All right. Your book is fascinating. I've read it twice. I just love it. It, 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 it encompasses so much. Um, but what you've done is taken the three R's and expand them to seven. Now, what exactly was wrong with the three R's in the first place? Can you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, I'll try to do this briefly, but there's a lot of history behind it. So reduce, reuse, recycle are the three R's that we are most familiar with. And those were released as like an environmental campaign um, and they're very intentionally ordered. So the first one reduce is the one that they wanted people to be doing the most of. So they wanted people to first reduce their consumption in order to reduce their environmental impact. And if they couldn't do that, then the next option would be to reuse. And if they couldn't reuse their items, then the last resort should be recycling. And then, of course, after that, if you can't recycle, then you'd have to throw it away. But um, during the time period when this campaign was released, it caused a few issues for marketers and in large corporations because it was during the time when single-use items, like single-use packaging, plastics, all that stuff was really on the rise. And there was a large push for convenience, especially in Western cultures. And so what marketers did then was they latched onto the idea of recycling because it would allow consumers to feel like they were making a difference. <laughs> and at the same time, it would still ensure that everyone was buying their products um, because you could supposedly recycle those items and they would be able to be reused in a new life. Over time, this has become increasingly more difficult. Recycling has a fair share of issues and the issues grew, I think, in the year 2018 when China stopped accepting all of our recyclables and so we could no longer send a lot of the things we were sending before, like paper products, plastics, et cetera, overseas, we now had to handle in the United States and it fell on individual municipalities. And the municipalities were not equipped for this change, especially because it happened so fast. And so during that short period, while they were figuring things out, a lot of things went to the landfill. But what a lot of consumers also don't know is that there's something called downcycling. Um, and because we predominantly recycle plastics and use plastics really, really frequently in our 
food packaging, drink bottles, bags, etc. That is the number one product that is probably downcycled. And what that means is that say you have a plastic bottle, like a Coke bottle or something, you recycle it, you feel good about it. But then what happens is that plastic material loses its integrity through the recycling process. And so that can then be recycled into something like a plastic bag, like a grocery sack or a a bread bag, something like that. But then what do you do with that? Most places don't accept those loose like bag recyclables. Um, And then after that, they can maybe be recycled one more time if the system is in place, but more likely than not, they're just going to be thrown away. And so recycling is different everywhere around the country. I've lived in many locations that they don't recycle at all. And so it is a bit of a myth to me that recycling is beneficial. Okay. And there is a term for that. When marketing people pass along a feel-good stories and leave out a lot of the details that uh, you probably ought to know. And you taught me this term. Would you care to share it with the listeners? Yes. It's called greenwashing. It is something that I love talking about. If you listen to my podcast, it's brought up all of the time. Um, And greenwashing is in every industry. Any product that is marketed can be greenwashed. And essentially what that means is it is a marketing campaign that is convincing consumers that a product or procedure, anything really, is greener or more sustainable than it actually is. I can try to think of a basic example of this. One of the easiest ones, I think, is when we're looking at marketing language. And so like if they are explaining a product to be really vague in their sustainability practices, all they say is this is a sustainable product. This is really eco-friendly. This is made from natural materials. It's biodegradable. A lot of these terms aren't regulated. So really any product or marketing company can use them to their discretion. And unless they're explaining exactly how that product is biodegradable or why it is sustainably produced, then more than likely it's greenwashing. Awesome. Well, that is an eye opener for a lot of us. And it, uh, but it also empowers in that now we know what to look for. I hate it when good hearted people are, are seduced or tricked or, or whatever you want to call it into thinking they're doing, you know, right. And then uh, it finds out they've been sold a whole cartload of bull cookies. It really makes them cynical. It hurts and it makes them cynical. And sometimes it makes people get up, give up. So it's very, very counterproductive. Well, I'm going to run through your seven R's. What are you drinking there? That it's looks- a green, a green smoothie, <laughs> <laughs> a green smoothie. That's what it, you know, and I'm sitting over here with a ham's beer, which is also smooth but uh, <laughs> i think that the semblance is end right there but we're going to run through her, her seven r's and then we're going to kind of bend them back towards fishing and I, and meg is going to chime in with her ideas or if i get off track or what have you or she has questions about it we're just going to kind of uh, go back and forth here for a little bit but this is one of the things that i thought was so bold and so astute because what you're trying to do with your book and your podcast and your whole with your life okay is to encompass this very complicated idea that has so many overlapping pieces and so many moving parts. And yet, like a watchmaker, you're able to bring it all together into something that seems very simplistic. Hey, I know what time it is. And yet, underneath the surface, there's a lot going on there that uh, is actually making the idea work. So 
I think I got these in there, but it's not in any particular order, but I, I do have them in the same order as the book. So we're going to talk about reduce, refuse, my favorite. I even made myself a refuse t-shirt, rethink, repair, rehome or reuse, remove and restore. So let's get started with reduce. Now, fishers can do a lot when it comes to reducing their waste. For example, overbuying. Who hasn't been seduced by that giant bag of Sankos? 36 Sankos. A Sanko is a type of plastic, soft plastic bait. And you're, you're starting out fishing, especially you're just like a kid in a candy store. You see this thing that has 36 Sankos in five colors and, and it's only eight bucks. Well, do you really need 36 Sankos? And the problem with these cheap, what's called plastisol baits is that they tear real easy. They break real easy. And so you'll go out and catch one or two bass on that Sanko. And then your next cast, the back end of it splits off and just goes flying. And now you've, you know, and now you've got to take the front end off and throw it in your disposal unit, in your boat or in your pocket. If you're on shore, even if you dispose of it responsibly, you're feeling kind of like a heel because a, a giant chunk of it went, went flying out into your environment. So like right there, suggest people look around. I prefer to buy soft plastics that are made out of elastomer. Z-Man, for example, has this plastic that they market under a Laztec. It's actually a silicone base. It's 10 to 20 times stronger. So that same $8 that you would buy the 36 cheap plastisol baits, you're only going to get six to eight Z-Man baits. And you think, oh, no, big ripoff. But, A, you're going to take better care of them because they're more expensive a piece. And B, they're not going to come apart as easily. And when they do start to show signs of, of wearing out, and I believe me, I have z-man baits i haven't i don't know that i've really retired one yet sometimes when they get so full of poke holes from the hook i'll just kind of i get kind of worried about it so i'll move on to the next one but i still i think i pretty much have every z-man bait i've ever bought so there's that another one that really gets me down is cheap monofilament and when i was on your show we talked about the dangers of monofilament line and one thing that anglers can do is go to a higher grade line or you can you know trade out your monofilament for a copolymer line that's going to be my next professional bass lady turned me on to gamma line and i can't wait to try it out and there's also a braided line but even if you use monofilament instead of buying the cheap shakespeare or zebco brands the walmart brands and so forth step on up to a brand like trilene xs which is extra strength or xl and store your line in a dark place so it retains its strength and doesn't need to be replaced as much. And there's just all kinds of other things you can do. I mean, you can use, you know, your metal baits, your hard baits, and other highly durable lures, which I kind of covered with the plastics. But one of your themes is don't be afraid to pay for quality because quality helps out in the long run. And that's what's so wonderful is that we're talking short run, long run, and you move so fluidly between this stuff. So there's some of my ideas. We used to buy penny candy. You're way too young to remember penny candy, but it used to be a real trip to walk in with a quarter and come out with 25 pieces of candy. Okay. And then when your dental bill shows up, your parents are just like, what? Okay. So you got that long run aspect of buying cheap, reduce the, just the sheer amount of stuff you buy. You care to add or any example that, that it particularly gets on your nerves or that you embrace. Yeah, sure. So 
I guess, yeah, I didn't put these in a particular order, but I did intentionally put reduce first because in case people didn't read through all of them, I wanted them to remember this one the most. And I will say, I think I mentioned this somewhere in the book, but one of my friends once told me that it's expensive to be poor. And that's because we can't always afford to buy the highest quality equipment or gear or even the healthiest options when it comes to food that we eat or anything really. And so I think keeping that in mind in applying these types of things to your life is important that it's not going to look the same for everyone and um, really just do the best you can and start with what you have. I know one thing that I did a lot when I was getting started in new outdoor activities one, because I didn't have a lot of money, and two, because I wanted to reduce my consumption and figure out if I actually liked those things. Like if you're switching lures or something like that, maybe you don't know if you really like it, but you can borrow it from someone, go fishing with a buddy and try out his lures and maybe you can see <laughs> see that they actually work. Oh, 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 oh yeah, man. You 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 know us somehow without actually knowing us. Borrowing your buddy's lures, whether he knows it or not, is a time-honored thing for sure. <laughs> Did you see yeah. my white bomber with the black stripe? Nope. Nope. Didn't see it. <laughs> I'm not saying steal from your friends, you guys. I'm saying try them out <laughs> and then you can buy them yourself when you decide that, yeah, these are actually better. All right. Well, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the next one, and this is my favorite one, is just refuse. Because I, I tell your friend to, it, it's all about balance and it, and it, and it is expensive to be poor. You know, you want to buy a tarp to cover up your firewood or to cover up your motorcycle. You can't afford the one you want. You got to buy the one you can afford. And that's one of those ones that degrades in the sunlight. And two years later, you're out buying another one, which is bad for the planet. It's bad for people. It's bad, bad all the way around. But what can you do? What can you do? Jumping right back. Okay. So the next one I want to talk about is refuse and condition your mind to fight the allure of advertising. And we've already talked about this, but beware of greenwashing. Now, you are an insider. You have gone in behind enemy lines. You used to write ad copy, if I'm not mistaken. You used to do some advertising stuff. Yeah, I used to be a copywriter. <laughs> yeah, so you know kind of what it takes to, to tip that urge, to tip that scale. Consuming is a lot of fun. See, this is what I love. You have a lot of empathy for people. And this is why your book is such a good read, because consuming is a lot of fun up front. Yay, yay, yay. Oh, look at this. It's so fun to get something new. But refusal is gratifying. It's gratifying. It's like, oh, I see that big shiny rod. They want 180 bucks for it. And I actually could afford that. But you know what? I just still like my old rod. My old rod still works just great. I don't know why in the world I would just go out and buy uh, a brand new one when I've got a perfectly good one. So become anti-consumerist. You know, there's nothing wrong with buying that new when you need it. And especially when you buy new with an eye to durability, then you're actually helping out. But the trap is conspicuous consumerism, buying to a fulfill an emotional hole, an emotional need, you know, acting out by buying in an ostentatious way. You need to ask yourself, do you really need the item or are you just following a toxic Pied Piper at the expense of the world? A good old rod, grandpa's old rod may not be in style with your buddies, but on the other hand, vintage gear, for example, has its own charms that are always in, in the, in the larger sense, in the larger world. Yeah, that one's one of my favorites too. And 
I think that it is really powerful, especially if you are someone that wants to align your purchases with your values and your morals, because it kind of forces you to look a little bit deeper into, yeah, into the advertising and marketing and into the full life cycle of an item. And it's one of the few ways in a capitalist society that lower class, like the rest of the 99% can use the little power that they have and vote with their dollar. So eventually the market will follow where the consumer money is going. So it's one of the small ways that as a collective, we could potentially make a difference. Well, this is another thing that I love about your work, your writings, your your philosophy is you're talking about actionable ways. I can't take on one of these big companies. I can't as an individual take on that company, but I can refuse to buy their stuff. Every small thing adds up. And one of the tactics they say is that, oh, you, you're not really making a big dent in this company's marketing, but you, but that's just trying to get you to quit. Actionable ways. You give us all kinds of actionable ways to fight back. And that's what is important to me. Very, very important. Okay. So let's jump on down to number three, which I, I also love this one rethink. And the reason I love this one is because I come up against this all the time as a proponent of lead free fishing. Oh, lead free. I ain't doing that. You know, I'm happy enough. I catch fish on my lead gear and I'm not giving it up. And I have to say, well, what if I told you my gear works just as good and maybe even better? What if I told you that I'll give you more options? I'll give you more weight uh, increments. I'll give you a lot of things that maybe you're not getting out of that lead product. Rethink it. Rethink it. It's vital. You asked me when we were together on your podcast about biodegradable line, and I did some research and like Mustad now has come out with biodegradable tough line made from a plant-based copolymer. It, it sounds like it's the real deal. You know, there are a lot of us old school types, you know, we did, we, we committed sins because we didn't know any better. Now's the time to rethink, show the strength, show the ability to change one's ways. It's absolutely key. Rethink it. Yeah. That one is probably my personal favorite. If I have to pick one out of the seven that I have applied in my life the most, that would probably be it. And like your take on it is a little bit different than like what my intention was, but I like it better. (laughs) So another way that rethink applies to like a larger consumer culture is just interrupting your buying patterns. So like if you're used to window shopping or just like shopping online, kind of like mindlessly, um, the intention is to like stop and think about the purchase before you actually commit (laughs) to buying it. And like one question that I usually use for people is how many times in the next 30 days or three months or even the next year, are you actually going to use it? And then if you can't answer that very clearly um, or effectively, then table purchasing that product. And if it keeps coming up in your life, like, oh, maybe I want that, then maybe buy it. But that's like another way to approach the rethink aspect. Well, that's you know it's fantastic, and I'll tell you another thing. What I call is uh, shopping hypnosis. You know, you get into Jane's addiction would say ritual dehabitual. You know, we used to buy the the liquid soap, and it's just like you automatically just get it. Oh, and you, you know you're making your list. We need li- liquid soap, and then this was years. This has been two decades. But Kathy and I are like, what what are we doing? Look at all these bottles. Look at all this stuff. So now we buy this giant jug of cheap shampoo at the dollar store, and we've used the same liquid soap bottle for 
I think five, six years now because we just put about an inch of that shampoo in the bottom, put water in it, shake it up, wash our hands with that. Soap is soap is soap. And now I'm just throwing away one big jug, which, you know, okay, I, that ain't the best, but it's a lot better than just going dreamy down the aisle, trying to get in and out of the store and just hitting those same stock items that you just do just once again for convenience or just because you've mentally trained yourself. So I guess rethink, rethink, break that consumer habit if you can do it. Yeah. And I will say that it's not very easy to do. And especially right now in the United States, it's like a lot of consumers are really struggling mentally and you might not have the mental capacity to like invest time into that or like energy into that. Like you're dealing with one or two jobs, you have a house full of kids, all these things. And then like the last thing you want to do is think about every purchase that you're making. So like I said before, like just do what you can and don't feel bad if you can't do everything. Well, and that's what makes your message so palatable. And because, you know, people get their backup. They don't like being told, you know, this is another thing in the lead-free fishing. You know, I'm not going to tell you you're some, something less of a person because you use some lead lures, especially since I can't provide everything you need right now for your fishing. But there's always that flip side and you lead people to it. And it's like, well, you get into this buying pattern, but if you can come up with clever little ways to bypass some of these rituals, some of these habitual buys, then you will actually start saving money because thing of hand soap, two, $3. Now I, I can make 10 of them or more with my current method. Okay. So yeah, people are up against a lot and you recognize that. And I think it's, it, it's just wonderful and do what you can, you know, do what you can. That's, that's it. I don't know. We, we just, we strum on the, we strum on the same chords a lot, you and I. It's, 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 we could, we could, we accompany each other pretty well in the big band of life. Okay, so now I'll move on to the next one. It's repair. And this is, this is a hard one for me because I couldn't fix a roller skate. I couldn't paint a doghouse and have it look right. I couldn't hardly do nothing. But I don't care if it's just duct tape. I don't care what it is. I will do my level best to repair stuff. My tent got a hole in it. This is one that you mentioned. Oh, I got to rip it. It's just get some of that tenacious tape and fix it. It can be done. If some big long zipper goes bad, then yeah, I don't know. That's hard to fix. And you should have read Meg Carney's review and bought a different tent, but you'll make that up next time. But if you can repair, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And the first three R's are more like conceptual. And then the last four are like probably more action oriented into like how to actually take care of your gear. And like repairing is important to extend the lifespan, obviously. And if you don't know how to repair something, there's lots of people that you can learn from. YouTube is a great tool. I've learned tons of things on YouTube from other creators on how to repair my gear. And also it can save you a lot of money. Like you can, if you don't have a tent, I have found tents in a dumpster before and washed it, repaired it, like, and it still works and I can give it to someone else or I can donate it to someone that needs it. So there's lots of ways that you can learn to repair. And that's one of them that I have used is finding free gear or really cheap gear and then trying the repair methods on there instead of trying it on my really expensive stuff where I don't really want to break it more <laughs> we don't want to break it more exactly yeah. well it, it, this is a wonderful segue and we've got to we've got to get on our pony and move right along because the 10 minute warning just popped up but you've segued right into rehome reuse you know this is what i get stuff out of people's trash i love to go to garage sales my wife is a professional picker i mean we are in the major rehoming reusing you know when my daughter was was here and we were she was growing up 
and she'd say, oh, Lydia was bragging about her new dress and how much it cost. And I said, well, that's all right. But I'm telling you right now, you're in a family where we brag about how little things cost and how good a deal we made on stuff. And it's a lot more fun for me to say, hey, you see this ultralight? I got it for a dollar at a garage sale than to even to say, hey, I got a St. Croix rod, you know, for 200 bucks. I, I really is. So rehome, reuse, obvious for the most part. It's a double-ended thing. Donate that stuff. If you can sell it, that's fine. You need to sell it, that's fine. But give, 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 sell, donate, all of it. And on the other hand, take a little pride in being clever and being practical and being thrifty. And uh, let some stuff come on back to your home. Let it be where that stuff gets rehomed. Because <laughs> I just lit up like a light when you said stuff about getting stuff out of the trash. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. All right, now, remove. And I'm just going to, we could, you know, any one of these, we could sit and make a whole show segment out of, okay? yeah. but I, I want to get people introduced to you and your work and give you enough time to, to follow up here with some final words. But here's a couple of tips. I have this uh, friend. He's a listener of the fish nerds. His name is Dave Redden. He is fishing. South Maryland is his online presence on Instagram and so forth. And he always makes it a point to take stuff out of the environment. Our fly fishing correspondent, Rich Collins has this thing about recovering tires. He's, he's a crazy man. Both of them are. I've seen both of them with like a tire sitting on the front of their kayak and Rich rolling a tire down through the, the woods, you know, just to get it, just to get it the heck out of his trout stream. And you, you young lady are absolutely bananas about removing. You have picked up enough doggy do to, um, I don't know. It, it's, it would make quite an impressive amount and have cleaned up so many trailheads. Sometimes I'm just like, stop, Meg, stop. Just go, just go and enjoy the trail. But setting an example is important. But I have the one, Jeff and I have the one t-shirt bag rule. We each have one t-shirt bag. And once that's full, we're done picking up after jerks. <laughs> On the other hand, I pick up all the monofilament I find. Always pick up the monofilament I find because it is so dangerous um, or any other kind of fishing line. You know, and this goes all the way up to organizations like Trout Unlimited have, pushing to have dams removed. Sure. I'm definitely pro dam removal. I have a lot of thoughts on dams, but <laughs> that also could be a whole episode in and of itself. Uh oh, but you're yeah. going to come back and you're going to come on back. <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't know. I usually try to pick up a few things every time that I'm out. But yeah, if you don't have like a cutoff limit like you're talking about, then that's all you're going to be doing outside because there's trash everywhere all the time. Yeah. And I've asked you this and and you and you've kind of explained it, but how do you protect that psyche? Because like one of the last things I saw you had on Instagram, it's one of those great things that I just love is when people buy a cooler, fill it with beer and ice, drag it out somewhere nice. You were on this place that had this beautiful view. Go out there, get S-faced, and then just leave the cooler, leave the cans, leave everything. This is a thing that are you kidding me? You're, yeah. you're whining that you don't have any money, but then you you spend $30 on a cooler and just leave it. Now, it's way lighter now that it's empty, imbecile, than before. But for some reason, how do you keep the strength? How do you keep the, you, you, you seem so strong because you said stay positive, but it seems like there's an assault on your psyche everywhere you go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I It's easy to fall into that anxiety and like stress and stuff, but I spend a lot of time like focusing on my mental health and like focusing on things that I can actually control. I learned a lot of that in years of therapy. So I'm definitely pro therapy person. And really, that's all you can do. Like, what can you control? You can't control other people's actions, but you can in use your influence. And so that's generally where I try to align myself. It doesn't always work, but I try. <laughs> Well, keep on trying as much as you can stand to because it, it is having an effect. Okay, restoration. I'm just going to say this real quick. Unfortunately, on a higher level, 
whether it's the DNR or the Army Corps of Engineers or anything, there are restoration efforts that are actually counter-restorative. Outdoor writer John Gearock talks about after these floods in Colorado, all along his favorite stream, they cut down all the pine trees and used them to make erosion breaks. But now all the pine trees are dead, the roots are gone, the stuff that was actually holding this creek together for the past 100,000 years is gone because some engineer with more more learning and less sense you know, decided that this was a good idea. So whenever we restore, get out there and do it, but make sure you're supporting a restorative effort that is actually restorative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and usually for those types of things, I try to work with like local efforts, you know, like land trust people, people who are actual like conservationists and ecologists. Very good. Very good. Well, like I say, we could we could go on and on and on. Uh, this has been delightful. Okay, now listen, she's just going to get cut off, folks, because I'm just going to give her the rest <laughs> of the time. Hit the book, hit the vlog, vlog, hit the pod one more time, and then say whatever else you want to say, May. Yeah, if you want to learn more about the book, I recommend going to theoutdoorminimalist.com. That has all the information on the podcast, the book, and other projects that we might be working on. Podcast is the best like learning resource I probably have. Wonderful, wonderful podcast. Yeah, tons of different guests, lots of different topics, no matter the discipline in the outdoors. And then Instagram is at outdoor.minimalist.book. Um, that's the social media I'm most active on. So if you want to stay up to date, that's a good way. The best way, though, to stay up to date is the email newsletter, which is sent out every Monday. And you can find that on the website, too. And also on YouTube, Outdoor Minimalist Blog. Yeah. You and I your do little have a puppy YouTube dogs channel. driving around doing stuff. It's so great. Yeah. I do vlogs and then some gear reviews. And soon we're going to be filming some like how-to content on repair and gear care. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Okay. Any other comments? I don't think so. Just thank you so much for having me. Well, this was fun. All right. Now, isn't Meg's just something else? Isn't she an absolute delight? Yeah, and in fact, um, I just went and uh, put her book on hold at the library because we have it in our system. I was like, okay, I'm going to read that book. So, yeah, if you're out there, preferably buy it, support support Meg. But uh, if you can't if you can't buy it, go to your local library. I'm the effing librarian. I'm going to tell you go to the library. But yeah, it looks really good. And you know, I was kind of like thinking, you know, the minimalist. You know, I think about like minimalist of people like trying to do. You know, there's some people that are into like outdoor stuff where they're just stripping everything down to the bare minimum. And that's not what she's talking about. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a philosophical approach to things. It's not that just like, well, I can go out in the woods and have five things in my backpack. No, that's not that's not it at all. It's you know, it's it's about rethinking your relationship with consumption, uh, stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. You know, um, I'm kind of a gear junkie. I'll admit it. You know, I'm the guy that's like, hmm, that new, that new uh, G Loomis rod sure looks pretty neat. You know, now I've got, <laughs> Lord knows, I can't count how many fishing holes I've got. I can't even count how many Tinkara rods I've got. You know, I, I got well, so many, I got so many fishing poles. I don't even know what to do with them. But yeah, but um, I, I never want to pay for quality. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things I do is I is like I'm not going to buy the cheap thing. I'm going to buy the good thing, and it'll last me forever. It was not what I thought it was going to be going into the interview. I was really, really liked her approach to things. Um, and looking at how it's more than just reduce, reuse, and recycle. It's you know, take it on for more things. You know, and I especially liked her rethink. It's just think how you do about this stuff differently. Exactly. And and she is so empathetic and she she can move fluidly between short run, long run, all this stuff. But yeah, her main thing is she's like me. You know, I'm not I'm not starting a religion. Neither is Meg. We're just saying, you know, consider this, consider these ideas. 
you know me, I'm, I'm trying to break my rod junkie habit. We were at that sale on our way out to do our gar fishing. And I put that ultralight back. It was only seven bucks, but gosh, darn it. I've got seven ultralights already. And do I need another one? Hopefully somebody bought it, uh, but I've rehomed already my share of ultralights and I just plain don't need another one. And yet it's going to torture me for the rest of my life. Believe me, the number of times <laughs> I'm sitting there going, dang it. I should have just gone ahead and bought that. Uh, well, that would have been that, you know, that was a secondhand rod. And so, you know, that's the, I think you're in, I think you're in the, her bailiwick there of saying, oh, I'm not going to go out to the store and buy this new rod. I'm going to go buy one that's already made, you know? So like, there's no associated cost of manufacture or anything with that. It's just going from you, from them to you. And then maybe, you know, from you to somebody else at some point, but that definitely like the, the, the yard sale rods are, I got a bunch of them and I'm going to have to, my dad keeps buying them. Every time he goes to an estate sale, he buys up all the fishing poles and brings them over to me. And I'm like, I, I love that about right. your dad. He's so, I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess I, next time I go on a scout trip, the another scout overnight, I'm like going to be distributing uh spin cast rods. Cause I've got a whole, a whole shed full of them, <laughs> well, you know, and some of them pretty nice old Johnson's and stuff like that. I mean, they're, sweet old rods or sweet reels some of them are really nice but uh i don't need them <laughs> exactly exactly and I, I i beat up on st croix a little bit but that's because i'm somewhat familiar with them angie uh, fishes their stuff exclusively and i know they are one of the best rod builders in the country if not the best and that's why you know the caveat like you 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 i admire you very much because you do do that you you save up and you get the best i i look about enviously about best, at I get, I get. hey you got the sims waiters you know i'm the one dealing with <laughs> with my right leg all wet because i've got the cheap waiters on and uh i love your rods i love your whole attitude about it uh it's not about spoiling people's fun it's not about that it's about just like you say rethink reevaluate take a minute consider the entire life of your product before you buy it just a few things but no matter what you do meg is still going to love you as long as you're kind of facing in the right direction and doing the best you can, you know what I'm saying? That's all we can do is, you know, it's like uh, any one of us, we can't, we can't save the world as much as we want to. Um, but a lot of people doing little things together really can make a big difference. Absolutely. So cliche, but it's true. Well, some cliches are wonderful and that one is a good one and it is true. Oh my goodness. Look at that clock right there. Jeff, we got to get out of here. You have listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank Diana's, Diana's Bath Salts. We said it together. Diana's Bath yep. Salts for our theme music for Fish in the News. We'd like to thank Wally Pleasant for the theme music for the show. We want to thank Meg Carney, the outdoor minimalist. We also want to thank Todd Correa, the fish rap writer, and Steve Nick Angler of North Country Angler's Fly Shop for his report as well. Jeff would like to thank his beautiful wife, Whitney, for letting him hang out with me even though I'm a horrible influence and get him into all kinds Whatever. of serious trouble. Yeah. Um, and I'm the one that's getting you in trouble too. So, <laughs> but we will thank our family. We'll, we we'll, thank we'll get in trouble together. <laughs> we want to thank our families always, of course. And we want to thank you, the listener for bringing your ears right on in here and letting us fill them up with fish stuff. We sure appreciate you coming in and listening to the show. So follow the code of the fish nerds spawn early and often. Never accept a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against a current every chance every you chance get. Every chance you get. Hey, brother, we done done it. We made a podcast. 
We made a podcast. It's been a while since I've done a whole one. Woohoo! Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.